Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. turning the world upside down by maintaining all the law and all the ordinances. No, there was life that was happening in them. The Holy Spirit was working and moving in their lives, and their lives were so dynamically changed that they could not deny that God was doing something in their lives, and they were turning their present world upside down. Why? Because of the excitement that they found in their new faith. It's sad how little of an impact many believers have on their community and world. If you've come to Christ, you likely remember those early months or years where you had passion and an urgent need to share what you'd found with others. As Pastor David will point out in today's message, that zeal has a tendency to wane over time, and many tried and true Christians get caught up in keeping the rules and maintaining routines and completely forget their first love, Jesus Christ. And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 21 as he continues his message, A Divided Grace. When they heard it, they glorified the Lord, period. I believe that's a really strong, powerful period right there. Because then it says, and they said to him, how exciting it is that the Gentiles are coming to the Lord. No, that's not what they said at all. They've changed directions. They said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all what? Zealous for the Lord, for the law. Jews that have believed, and yet they're zealous for the law. It wasn't so powerful the fact that God had touched these Gentiles, had opened up his salvation to the Gentiles. For them, what was a real focus on their minds that, again, in these Jews' lives, that had come to a saving knowledge of Christ, they're very zealous for the law. God was bringing these Gentiles, these these pagan people, to the, the, the same level as the believing Jews. Not that there would be believing Jews and, oh yes, also the also rans, you know, the Gentiles. No, God was bringing them up to the same level as the believing Jews. Even as Paul would write to the church in Ephesus a little bit later, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you, you Gentiles, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made both Jew and Gentile one. And he's broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. But the problem is these believing Jews that are there in Jerusalem, they were still very zealous for the law, for the law. The testimony of their life was they were zealous for the law. Thousands of Jews had come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Remember on the day of Pentecost, after Peter's message there, when the Holy Spirit had come. Now we're looking at the fact that we are some 20 years later. And James and the elders say, no, these Jews here, there are, there are literally myriads of Jews. And in essence, that, that, that myriads, it's probably better translated as tens of thousands of Jews have believed. And you think, man, what a great outpouring of God's spirit there in Jerusalem in that surrounding area. Literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the problem was is that even after coming to Christ by faith, they're still all zealous for the law. Legalism somehow had come in to be a huge part of their Christian experience. I guess the question is, is what happened to the excitement? What happened to the life that was demonstrated in those earlier years in Jerusalem? Remember those earlier years in Jerusalem where the complaint against the Christians who were Jews who came to saving knowledge of Christ, the complaint against them was they've turned the entire world upside down. They weren't turning the world upside down by maintaining all the law and all the ordinances. No, there was life that was happening in them. The Holy Spirit was working and moving in their lives and their lives were so dynamically changed that they could not deny that God was doing something in their lives and they were turning their present world upside down. Why? Because of the excitement that they found in their new faith. It was this boldness that they had at that point in time, that the Jew, that, that, that again, these new believers, the, the apostles themselves, going and standing before the Jewish leadership and said, you, you, you tell us what's right. Should we obey man or should we obey God? That boldness that was there. We don't see any of that boldness that's going on here, at least not a boldness in the spirit of God. The boldness and the excitement of those first early years as believers has pretty much mellowed out and the church there in Jerusalem has pretty much drawn back. They've drawn back and fallen upon actually what they had escaped from. And they're finding comfort in the very things that God saved them out of. Interesting thing too is some of these, some of these very quote-unquote, brothers in Christ are the ones who were the Judaizers. And remember, as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen those that have followed Paul as Paul went preaching the message of the, the gospel of Christ and freedom in Christ, that along behind him would come the Judaizers and say, oh, yes, there's grace, yes, yes, but, but first you've got to become a Jew. 
And you've got to follow all the customs and the traditions and the law of Moses. And then grace kicks in. You see the problem even today, we get that message in some churches. Yes, grace is available, but you've got to follow this. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. And then grace comes in. And grace becomes more of an add-on than the overarching reality of a new life that's found in Christ. These guys were still bound to legalism. And somehow, someway in the church there in Jerusalem, there was a breakdown of that message of grace. Someone asked me last night after the service, well, do you think that James and the elders were also bound by that same legalism? It's a difficult question to answer. Could they have found a place of ease of saying, yeah, it's okay, guys, you just go ahead, still be bound in the legalism and we'll have our thing over here and you can do your thing. I don't know, I, I, I have a hard time believing that James and the elders would be that way but because I also know that there's many times that, that pastors or, or leaders in the church will, will speak and, and, and pour out the truth. It doesn't necessarily mean that the people receive the truth, amen? Okay, thank you, I just want to make sure. Okay. But that's the battle that was going on there as Paul and this group of Gentiles come in to Jerusalem. Is there any wonder why there's so much written to the churches in in the epistles, the, the letters to the churches that we find there in the New Testament? So much is written about the dangers of the law and the need to be to 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 fully understand, to lay hold of, of, of the power of the message of grace. You see, if, if we allow the law to have precedence over grace, then suddenly the law becomes, becomes the determining factor in our life rather than the grace of God by the Spirit of God leading us as God would have us go and directing our lives. No, we're, we're still bound by this chain, by this weight of the law. And again, we need to remember, this was, this was 20, after 20 years of teaching the church at this point in time. How could that be? How could they, uh, again, be drawn so far away from grace and fall back into legalism so easily? Well, personally, I believe that the answer is, is twofold. I believe that, number one, the comfort of tradition as well as the perceived safety that's found in compromise. Falling on tradition and compromise. First of all, the comfort that, that so many find in tradition. It's interesting that, uh, again, so many people that are saved out of uh, um, religious organizations that have a, a lot of law and a lot of structure to them. They come to a saving knowledge of Christ and the reality of grace, not the law, not the ordinances, but grace. And suddenly it's very difficult for them to break from that because the tradition was such a huge part of their life. And it just seems so odd, so, so totally different and strange from them. They've lived in, 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 in essence in the surroundings of where it says right or wrong, this is the way we've done it for years and this is the way we'll continue to do it. And so they stay in that tradition or they fall back into that tradition even after they've tasted grace. In the musical Fiddler on the Roof, uh, some of you may be familiar with that, Teve, I mean, the great song was Tradition. 
Tradition. Everything dealt around tradition. He explains in kind of his opening dialogue there that tradition is what holds life together. Tradition is what governs everything about them. Tradition tells them what they're to eat. Tradition tells them how they're even to sleep or what clothes to wear. And he explains it. He doesn't really remember why they do these things. It's just tradition. And then he says a very telling thing. He says, Because of our traditions, everyone knows who he is and what God expects of him. You think, well, that's not too bad, is it? What happens when the Holy Spirit wants to move and change a life? What happens when the Holy Spirit wants to take you away from that tradition or push against the tradition? No, I'm bound by tradition. Is tradition the determining factor of God's will? in your life? It shouldn't be. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not totally against traditions, okay? Traditions can be very good. They can be very helpful in our lives. But when tradition begins to rob the life of what the Holy Spirit is desiring to do in an individual or in a church, then tradition needs to go out the window, Or it needs to be reviewed or adjusted again to allow the freedom of the work in the hand of God within that church or within individuals. Christian Jews that were there in and around Jerusalem, they felt very comfortable in what they knew. Oh, this is the way we've always done it. I know what I need to do. I know that in the morning I've got to do this and they've got to do that. And at noontime I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I know that on the weekend I've got to do this, I've got to do that. All of these things coming. They lived by the law and because they lived by the law generation after generation, that had become the norm in their lives. And so they tried to impose that same idea on all that came to Christ. This is the way I am, therefore this is the way you need to be. They felt that with their keeping of the law, even as Christians, they could still fit in with the society of the Jewish community around them. Even though I'm a Christian, as long as I still maintain the laws, as long as I still maintain the customs, then there's not going to be a rocking of the boat, so to speak. I can stand with them. I can stay with them. My, my family stays intact. There's no persecution. I can live, again, at, quote-unquote, peace because I'm, dealing, I, I'm staying with the tradition. But the law and the tradition, the problem is the law and the tradition, they were given, actually, to point us to Jesus, just like Paul tells the church of Galatia, this Gentile church explaining to them that the law was given to them as a tutor to bring them to Christ, that we might be justified, how? By the law? No, but by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We're no longer under the law. Now, if the church in Jerusalem, these Jews, if they really understood that, and if they lived that, then guess what? They would be persecuted. It would not have been a comfortable place for them to be in Jerusalem, not as comfortable as it was right now with myriads of Jews in Jerusalem living in comfort. 
But if they really understood that, no, it's not the law that we need to be under, if they really believed that and walked by faith, there would be persecution. There'd be divisions in families. There would be divisions within the community itself. And that brings us actually to the second point here. The reason for them being drawn from grace back into legalism was because their perception or their thought was that compromise gave them the ability to fit in. And compromise is what protected them from persecution. See, guys, right now, in that first century, in this time frame, it was a very difficult time. Rome was in charge of things in, in, in a natural sense. Rome was actually over all things. Claudius, who had been the, the Caesar from AD 41 to 54, he was the one that kicked all the Jews out of Rome. He felt that they were having too much power, too much authority. He got rid of them. After Claudius left the scene, Nero came on the scene. Nero from 54 to 68 a, or 58 AD. Again, he, he was a maniac. And everything you read about him, both those that are... Uh, uh, Again, secular writers as well as Christian writers say that uh, Nero is an absolute uh, nutcase. And again, through all the persecution that he did, both to the Jews and the Christians that was taking place. But in Jerusalem right now, thousands of miles away from Rome, there was a relative peace. And the Christian community, primarily Jews, were able to peacefully coexist with the Jews, because most looked at those Christians as just another sect of Judaism. There was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the uh, Essenes, and the Christians. They just kind of blended in, and so that peace was there. And according to historians, these various sects of Judaism, they, 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 they agreed on the basic aspects of their religion uh, and their way of life. Oh, when it came down to details about it, yeah, then there would be some violent disagreements. But primarily because they agreed basically on everything, these traditionalist, these law-observant Jewish Christians, they were able to maintain or remain as a part of the synagogue and of temple worship. We also find out that right about this time, again, the politics, they're starting to heat up. Rebellions of the Jews against the Romans were starting to take place. Historians tell us that at this time in Jerusalem, tensions were rising, and even in the temple, the Sicarii, the, the Jewish assassins, were going out and murdering other Jews, the, the Jewish aristocrats that they felt were, were uh, again, uh, having, again, good relationships or collaborating with Gentiles. Jewish nationalism was on the rise, and the nationalism's exclusivity made it intolerant of any supposed faithful members of its people to have fellowship with members of other peoples. Do you catch what that's saying? If you're a Jew, you don't have a relationship with a Gentile. I don't care what it is. So do you see the tension that's starting to happen here? Now I'm a Christian Jew. The Jewish part of me says, I don't associate with a Gentile. The Christian part of me says, but he's my brother. So all of these dynamics are going on. And in the midst of all of this, as these Jewish Christians, they're trying to find a place of compromise, a place of peaceful coexistence. 
Paul comes into Jerusalem with this group of Gentile Christians. And suddenly his message of grace, again, it's, it's upsetting this balance, this delicate, this man-made balance of peace. On top of all this, the misinformation, again, had been spreading about who, what the message that Paul had. And again, the, the elders of Jerusalem, they tell Paul, hey, you know what? All these Jews have heard that you're going, you're bad-mouthing the law. You're telling people, don't circumcise your kids. You're telling people, hey, don't be observant. Forsake the law of Moses. And that's not what Paul was saying. As a matter of fact, as Paul went, remember, he would go to synagogues. He would preach grace in those synagogues. But he wasn't saying don't circumcise. He circumcised Timothy himself, uh, Timothy as it was. And so Paul was not, again, wiping out the total law. He's just saying that grace is above the law. The law had its purpose, but beyond that is the reality and the truth and the strength of the law. And that's where, again, the problem accelerates when they start thinking that Paul is, again, bad-mouthing the law. And so then the uh, James and the elders, down in verse 23, they said, therefore, do what we tell you. You have to pause and think. Do what we tell you. The Holy Spirit had already told Paul he was going to be arrested. He was going to be in prison. We'll look at the balance of that, of what's taking place next time as we get here. But right now, the Spirit uh, didn't tell Paul, again, uh, what was going to happen and, and how that trouble was going to come. He didn't tell Paul that it was because of his brothers in the Lord that, that were holding on to tradition and that's what's going to lead him into trouble. But even the church today, church, we as the church local as well as the church, you know, universal, we need to wake up. We need to realize that oftentimes holding on to traditions, tr particularly trying to compromise with the rest of the world or the community around us is never going to bring about or fulfill the promises that it says it will. Paul realized that truth early on, and he was willing to stand firm in the truth of the gospel without compromise. Paul fully understood that the law could never satisfy the soul. Paul understood completely that compromise with the world would only bring destruction. The question is, is what about us today? Have we found an easy groove in life? Oh, yes, I love Jesus. But I don't want to be real. I, I, I don't want to be such a, such a fanatic about it. I could be a fanatic about sports. I could be a fanatic about politics. But I don't want to be a fanatic about my relationship with Christ. You see, sometimes the world or the church in the world becomes more of a part of the world than transforming the world that we're called to touch with the reality and the truth of the gospel. 2,000 years later, have we really learned the truth that we need to know? Have we, are we really standing in that truth? Are we hungry for the things of Christ in our life, for the move of the Spirit of God in our life? Or have we found a nice, steady ride? And we're good, and we're hoping to ride the steady ride till Jesus comes again.
Thank you for joining us today on The Open Word. Acts is such an interesting book about the early church and how people engaged with their newfound faith and then spread that good news to their region and the entire world. If you're new to the Bible and are unsure what this newfound faith is, you can learn more about a man named Jesus who came to save you. He came as the Son of God to save you from your sins. These early disciples in the book of Acts were elated to share with everyone what Jesus had done for each of them. They wanted others to know that kind of love too. If you want to understand this more fully, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we're here for you and we're praying for you. If you have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church and begin attending regularly. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and we meet every Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. You're welcome to join us for a time of worship and Bible study and a time to get to know other believers and find support. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. You can also find out more about The Open Word and listen to additional messages by visiting theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Open Word.